Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Justin, and I'm on the pastoral staff here at Courtright Church. And today, we're taking a brief hiatus from our worship series because Pastor Alex was uh, feeling unwell this weekend. So today is going to be a little bit of a one-off sermon. Just another note as we begin that we will be doing an online-only service next week, June 20th. Uh, as Allison mentioned in the announcements, We'll have our outdoor service on June 27th, and we're really excited about that, and we're busy preparing for that, and we'll be excited to see hopefully a whole lot of you out there that morning. Well, I have good news to share with us this morning, my friends. Jesus is in control of his church. Let me say that again very, very clearly. Jesus is in control of his church. Not only is Jesus in control of his church, Jesus is in control of the entire world. Today, we're going to be looking into Colossians chapter 1, exploring the sovereignty and the supremacy of Jesus over creation and the church. So when I was a kid, we had one of those original Nintendo entertainment systems, the kind where you had to blow on the cartridge half the time to get the games to work. Anyway, my mom and dad, one day, without consulting, <laughs> indiscriminately sold it in a garage sale. So a number of years ago, um, to kind of reclaim that nostalgia from my childhood, I found one being sold uh, online somewhere, and I, and I bought it. And similar to the one that I had as a kid, the games only worked about half the time. And then enters my friend Mike. Mike fixes things. Mike is a handyman where I am very much the exact opposite. Not only is Mike good at fixing things, he can actually take a broken thing and make it better than it was before. And this is exactly what he did with my Nintendo. He tore it apart, he made a few adjustments, he swapped out a, a couple small pieces, and before long, the system worked flawlessly. In fact, it worked better than those who designed it. We all need a mic in our life. And my mind was brought to this old Nintendo as a little bit of a metaphor for both the church and more broadly, our world. We look at the church, we look at the world, and we recognize that all of this is not as it should be. Our world is in disrepair. From humanity, there is both peace and war, famine and overabundance, great evil and yet also great good. From the earth itself, there is incredible beauty in creation, but there's also pandemics Earthquakes, mudslides, hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes, you get the picture. When you look at the world, when you look at parts of the church, you don't have to look very far to realize that all is not well. And much, much like my little Nintendo, where my, where my friend kind of said, hey, let me take this. I can fix this. In fact, I can make it better than it was. Jesus says to us regarding the church and the world, he says, hey, let me take this. I've got this. I can fix this. In fact, I can make it better than before. Jesus says, I am in control. 
This is where we're heading today as we look at the Apostle Paul's word to us from Colossians chapter 1. Before we read, though, let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Would you give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path you set before us through Jesus Christ? Amen. So let's read uh, from Colossians 1, uh, 15 through to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Colossae was a city uh, that would now be found in modern-day Turkey. It had a very spiritual climate. Most people worshipped all sorts of household gods and goddesses. They believed in all sorts of good and evil spirits, and they would best be described as spiritually pluralistic. Though their actual beliefs might be different, we can find a connection between kind of first century uh, Colossae and our world today. The Western world as we know it has grown increasingly spiritually diverse. In your own workplace, you may know any mixture of Catholic Christians, Protestant Christians, uh, Eastern Orthodox even, Muslims, Jews, Sikhs, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics, Wiccans, New Age spiritualists, the list goes on and on. And sometimes people even attempt to meld several streams of these spiritualities together. This would be comparable to the spiritual climate in Colossae. Now, the church in Colossae was pretty fresh at this point. They were pretty new. And the writer of this letter was Paul, with help from his spiritual son, Timothy. They wrote this letter to this fledgling church in Colossae while in jail in the city of Rome. Paul's central message is simply this. Jesus is in control. So followers of this way... Christianity, these newcomers on the scene in Colossae, they were inserting themselves in a spiritually pluralistic environment, and they were making an extremely bold statement. Not only is Jesus one and the same with the one true God of the universe, but he's in control. He's sovereign over all. He is supreme. This was in a response to the crisis that was happening in this new church, primarily that a person or possibly a group of people uh, were introducing all sorts of kind of dangerous and ungodly teachings to the church. So Paul and Timothy, they wrote in response to this. Paul's response is that actually Jesus is supreme over all else. 
He is superior in authority and power over every other faith system, over every supposed good or evil spirit, over every created thing, animal, human, inanimate, does not matter. Jesus is in control. And this is so blatantly countercultural. And if anyone had the authority to make this claim that Jesus is sovereign over all, it's Paul, who again was in jail. And he still looked at his situation. He looked around him. He looked at his chains, literally speaking, and said, Jesus is in control. This passage from Colossians 1 is actually a poem. It's believed that this passage is one of the first recorded hymns of the early church. It's lost a little bit on us because of the translation from the Greek to the English as some of those little nuances happen. But if you read it, it still has a certain cadence about it. There's a beautiful richness and depth to what is being said here. Paul claims that Jesus of Nazareth is the exact representation of God the Father. He is the image, the imprint, the hands and feet of God who is unseen. This is one of the strongest statements in all of the scriptures about Jesus' divinity. But not only is Jesus divine, but he is co-eternal and co-creator alongside God the Father and God the Spirit. When it says that Jesus, it uses this language of Jesus being the firstborn over all creation. It's not suggesting that Jesus was the first or premier creation. That's uh, an old early church heresy. Jesus did not simply exist for 30 years or so in the first century. Jesus as firstborn means that he has been there since before the beginning. Because Jesus and God the Father are one. They have always been one. And they, alongside the Holy Spirit, set the world in motion. And it not only says that it was created by the triune God, but that it was created for the triune God. If we've ever been confused about the reason for the earth's existence, it was created for God's glory. We get to enjoy it. We get to be a part of it, enjoying its beauty and goodness. But it was created for God's glory. And we've touched on that a little bit in the worship series we're currently working through. When you look at a mountain range, a blue whale, a giraffe, everything from that to the most small and fragile of God's creation, it was created by God and for God. And God sustains it all. It says, in him, all things hold together. The triune God did not create this incredible earth and then abandon us. God is not a deistic God. He continues to create and cultivate and sustain. Now, there's a tension here, I recognize, that we could look, you know, we could look at the natural disasters that happen around us, like earthquakes, hurricanes, viruses, and the like, and kind of struggle with a degree of skepticism as to how those two things square up. We should grapple with those tensions. There's no easy answers to that, but time doesn't allow us to get into the intricacies of that this morning. 
I will say, though, that there's some evidence to suggest that much of the abnormal weather and viruses that have emerged over the past number of years is that some scientists will say that this is at least in part human responsibility from pollution and whatever else. Now, that's a scientific perspective, but I also think that we can hold that in complementarity or intention with a spiritual perspective. The spiritual perspective is that sin has entered the world and it has left an indelible mark on the very earth itself, which is now fractured and broken. Humanity is that way, but so is the very earth that we walk on. And so humans are subject to the natural consequences of sin. And yet in that, Jesus holds the earth together from who knows what else calamities. So Jesus holds the earth together, and he is also the head of the church. Now, when we say church here, we mean the universal church, that he means that he is the head of of this church, the one I am standing in right now, and of all churches. And that over the course of 2,000 years, many have tried to destroy and to defame the church, but Jesus has sustained it through the ages. He's refined it even through extremely challenging seasons. That is true for this church. That is true for our denomination. And that is true for the church universal. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not, cannot stand against it. The power of sin and death and darkness will not prevail. If you're struggling to trust that Jesus will preserve his church this morning, I would encourage you to look at the bigger picture, the global picture, the non-white Western picture. Be encouraged that the church around the world is growing and thriving more than ever before. God is working Jesus is sustaining his church. This is a word for those who might be discouraged about how the church might look coming out of a pandemic. There's been a lot of discussion about that. You might also receive this as a word for those that are struggling in a conflict-ridden denomination. To this we again say, Jesus is in control. We can rest in this. We can put our hope in this. We can find our peace in this. We can trust in him. So the first section says uh, in this passage can be summed up as that, that Jesus is in control. Jesus has the authority and the power to be called supreme, and he is worthy of the highest praise. And then the second portion, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all, uh, to himself all things, whether things on earth or things hidden, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So again, a claim of Jesus being God, that God's presence is among the people in its fullness through Jesus. Now the word in Greek here is the word pleroma, and it's reminiscent of when God's glory would descend on a place, such as God's glory filling a temple. The glory of God fully dwells in Jesus. And the task of Jesus, both while he was on the earth and presently, is to reconcile 
all things to himself. Not just some things, not just a few things, not most things, all things. Maybe in your home right now, would you just say all things? I'm not going to do that cheesy thing where we say, uh, you know, I can't hear you because I literally can't hear you. But I trust that you receive what I'm saying. This means that Jesus will ultimately bring every last thing under his reign and rule. This is both a present reality and a future hope. The present reality is that for those who are in Jesus, we are given an incredible freedom, true freedom, freedom over sin and death itself. The future hope is that for those broken spaces, our churches, our families, the systems and structures around us that need reconciliation, that they will all be brought under the care and control of sovereign King Jesus. Jesus has helped us make peace with God the Father, and he will continue to bring every part of the world to that same peace. The forces of evil will one day be disarmed and completely and utterly pacified. This means that even the weather and the forces of nature will completely and fully surrender because Jesus is in control and Jesus is reconciling all things. And Jesus invites us into that process. Jesus invites us to join him as he puts the world back together. And in our time remaining, I want to look at how Jesus invites us into this process of reconciliation. Firstly, Jesus is reconciling conflict. Conflict within our own selves, conflict from a Christian to a Christian, conflicts from one belief system to another system like Christianity, conflicts between science and faith, conflicts between friends, conflicts within the church, conflicts within your denomination, conflicts between family. Does any of that resonate? I can't imagine that you don't identify with at least one of those things. Jesus is reconciling these things. As Jesus continues to bring heaven to earth in tangible ways, he is repairing and restoring our relational world. The ultimate future hope is a full inbreaking of heaven where conflict will no longer exist. But again, this is both a future hope and a here and now reality that we are called to. And we are called to, in part, join Jesus in ushering this in. I touched on this a little bit last week in my sermon on confession and repentance, so I won't spend a lot of time here. But I just want to say that as we do the work of confession and repentance and reconciling conflict, you are being the hands and feet of Jesus, who is making all things new. By the power of the Holy Spirit, join with Jesus in the hard, it is hard work, the hard work of reconciliation Love extravagantly. Make amends. Forgive as you too have been forgiven. The stakes are high here for you individually, for the church, and for our world. Secondly, Jesus is reconciling broken systems and institutions. I grew up in a home with foster siblings, and I got to see firsthand 
systemic barriers that make it so difficult for a child in a tough situation where they have to be brought into a foster uh, home or the foster system, it is so difficult for them to get an upper hand in life. I also saw this in my time at Hope House where every week I was having conversations with people that have no choice, and truly I mean no choice, but to be on disability and government assistance of any sort. And then due to the rising costs of uh, while people are still on fixed income, 80% or more of their check goes, gets cut off of their, of their monthly stipend and put into housing, leaving very little left over. This is a greater challenge than ever before with the, the out-of-control housing prices that we are seeing in Guelph. There are people within our community that desperately need housing. This is a crisis. And I feel fortunate enough, and many of you listening are fortunate enough, that you bought a house at a time when the pricing wasn't completely wild or unreasonable. But for many right now, this is truly a system that is broken. And if nothing is done about it, there will be more people on the streets in the weeks and months and years ahead. This is a broken system. There are broken systems all around us. There are governmental and organizational corruption. This is nothing new. We see it in nearly every institution, including, though it shouldn't be, but it is, including the church. We, this side of heaven, there is no system left unscathed by the mark of sin. And yet... Jesus is sovereign over this corruption and will one day bring all of it under his care. We can sit by watching idly or we can take part in the work that Christ has called us to. We can speak out against corruption and injustice when we see it. This was Jesus' mission and mandate from the very beginning of his ministry. And toward the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4, there's this incredible scene where Jesus walks into a synagogue and he walks up to the front and he grabs a scroll from the prophet Isaiah and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he put the scroll down and walked away. And I kind of like to think that that is kind of a first century equivalent of a mic drop. Jesus, full of compassion for those in need. Jesus, full of justice. Where there is oppression, there is corruption, and Jesus is reconciling this oppression, and we are called to do the same. And there is good work happening in this way. In Guelph, it's happening through organizations like Royal City Mission and some of our other local mission partners. There is work happening in the Presbyterian Church in Canada as well through networks like the Evangelism Network and organizations like the Raw Carrots. The reconciling work of Jesus is not done yet. 
maybe it's worth taking a moment right here and right now to ask the Holy Spirit how you might be called to action, even within your own church. Why don't we actually take a moment to do that right now in the, just the quiet of wherever you find yourself? Lastly, Jesus is reconciling our own hearts. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 7 uh, of our human condition when he says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. Just as the world has been corrupted, our hearts, our desires, our wills have been corrupted by sin. Think about the worst thing that you have ever thought or the worst thing that you have ever done in secret that maybe no one else or very few people know about. If that thing were all of a sudden displayed on the screen in front of you and you came face to face with your darkest moments in front of everyone from your church community, and theoretically, because this is on YouTube, Anyone in the world could have access to see your deepest secret. I think you might conclude, as I would, that there is corruption in our hearts. It is the root of every single thing that is wrong in our world. The good news, my friends, is that Jesus has reconciled our corrupted hearts. The last verse from our passage this morning it says that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. How does, he do, how does he do that? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It all centers around the work of Christ on the cross and the work of the Spirit that raised Christ from the grave. Jesus began a reconciliation process in our hearts in that moment, making himself supreme over sin, supreme over corruption, supreme over nature itself, and supreme over death. This is completely and utterly the work of God. There is nothing for us to do here except believe and follow. It is by the grace of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb that we are saved. This is not our doing. May this truth, may this reality never grow old to us. May we never lose our sense of wonder and mystery over the cross of Christ and the empty grave. And may we join in with Jesus's ministry of reconciliation. There is so much work to be done in our churches, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, in our world. So may we join in with what Jesus is already doing. This is not something new. May we look for signs of where Jesus is reconciling the world to himself, and may we join in with that. Our world, the church, our own lives are fractured in more ways than we will ever know, but we have a Savior who is reconciling all things to himself. Jesus is in control. Let's pray. Lord, may we be just so acutely aware of the ways in which you are reconciling all things to yourself. 
the ways in which even though it feels challenging or difficult or out of control, may we trust you, may we put our hope in you, may we declare this morning, have your way, you are in control. Lead and guide us now as we digest what you have given us through your word this morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.